Recovery Elevator, episode 263. I also want to model to them that this is not normal to, you know, to do this to yourself every weekend or every day or, or whatever it is. I don't think that alcohol should be normalized. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we have Tara. She's 45 years old from Seattle, Washington, and took her last drink on February 4th, 2019. She talks about how she realized alcohol was taking more than it was giving. She also talks about in her interview how she feels great about finally being sober. Those are air quotes around the word finally, as in it took her some time. It took me time, and I'm certain it's taking many of you time. It takes everyone time to make the biggest change in their lives. It's how it goes. So be patient. Our t-shirt guy, Chris, just hit two years alcohol-free. Congratulations, Chris, with Saguaro Screen Printing out of Arizona. He's done shirts for several of our Recovery Elevator events and sober travel trips, and I'd highly recommend his company. Probably just Google Saguaro, like the cactus, Screen Printing, Arizona, or Phoenix area, and you'll find him. If you need t-shirts, he's your guy. And nice job, Chris, on smashing it two years without the alcohol. This June 11th to the 13th, Recovery Elevator will be live in Denver, Colorado with an event titled Dancing with the Mind. You'll learn how to create your future, happy, wholesome, authentic self that no longer needs alcohol, and you'll draw this new life to you like a magnet in the present moment. You'll build lifelong in-person connections with others who no longer drink. This event, like all Recovery Elevator events, is going to be fun. Go to recoveryelevator.com for more information and to register. These events are incredible, and this one will be no different. Oh yeah, this hotel is pet friendly, and you know who else is going to be there? Ben. Okay, let's get started. It's been a while since I've done a list, and since the internet loves lists such as top 10 ways to bring back the 80s, or top 5 ways to live like a millennial even though you're 63, or in our case, top 10 benefits of quitting drinking. Now, I've left off some more obvious ones because I want to go a little deeper and more niche in some areas on this list. The obvious ones I'll be leaving out are blanket health statements like, you'll feel better, or you'll save money. But with money, you'll then have more of it to realize money doesn't mean shit for happiness, which is a wonderful lesson to learn, and as I say this, I'm recognizing that quitting drinking will help us realize that money or other material pursuits won't bring us lasting happiness, as in we wake up faster. Another one I won't be covering on this list is weight loss. For one, some people gain weight, some people stay the same weight, and some people lose weight. And I think it's fucked up that our culture only recognizes one of these three outcomes as an achievement. And if you don't lose weight after alcohol, you must have done something wrong. We need to start changing this narrative. So this is me deleting that from the list and all future lists. Because a male or female's weight should never be considered when determining who gets a ribbon and who doesn't. Just like colors of skin, which are all beautiful, all weights, sizes, dimensions equally deserve merit. If your main goal of quitting drinking is losing weight, two things. Explore that further as in there may be an underpinning of another issue at hand. And number two, step aside and let your body be the guide for optimal vitality and weight. 
as in your body with millions of years of experience knows your best weight much better than health and fitness magazine. Okay, are you guys ready? I'm excited to give you guys this list. Here we go. Let's roll. Number one, your authentic self will begin to emerge. I say begin because this isn't a one and done thing and it takes time. That's what recovery is. Recovering the person you are meant to be and giving the inner child permission to come out and play again. This authentic self fully recognizes that the mind makes life out to be way more serious than it actually is. In fact, don't forget rule 43, lighten up and never take yourself too seriously. When you ditch the booze, there's a good chance you'll find yourself rolling sideways down a grassy hill. Number two, you don't have a headache due to a lack of aspirin in your system. Sure, you're going to feel better by simply removing alcohol and quitting drinking, but you'll also have the chance, the opportunity, to find out why you're using alcohol to dull that internal discomfort. We're talking at getting at the roots of this discomfort. Not quick fixes or fads, but doing some serious soul work where we make that long journey from living in the head to the heart. This one isn't so much a benefit, but a life mission and why we're here. When we're drinking, we enter a state of consciousness where all inner exploration results in empty hopes and dreams, as in, we have no chance at leading a fully authentic and happy life. Remove the poison, and you've got a great chance of getting it figured out. Number three, you'll begin to find out who you aren't. Aha, you thought I was going to say you're going to find out who you are. Nope. And in terms of finding out who you are, I encourage you to relieve yourself of this self-imposed lifelong pursuit of finding out who you truly are, because when we quit drinking, the opposite happens. We find out who we are by a series of finding out who we aren't. Do you dig? You with me here? Does that make sense? So the who you are will organically be uncovered by a sequence of revelations of who we aren't. For example, I'm not a guy who likes to stay up until 2 a.m. and sleep in late. I love seeing sunrises. You'll learn you're a deeply strong person, rooted in this world, rooted in this reality, and someone who doesn't need an external substance to feel good internally. Those days will be gone. Number four, you're open to signs from the universe. Whether you believe they are coming from God, Allah, galaxies, the willow tree in your front yard, or your neighbor Tim, you won't miss them because you're drunk or hungover the next day. This past August, in a deep meditation, I was hit by the message of, hey Paul, stop seeking or stop searching. The next day, I get a text message from a friend who I haven't spoken to a while saying, hey Paul, you showed up in a meditation of mine yesterday. I had a message for you in this meditation, which was stop searching. We lined up her meditation with mine, and we think this happened at the exact same time. Crazy shit. In fact, strange synchronicities like this happen often, and they never did when I was drinking. So whatever's going on here, your body, mind, soul, and spirit are more open to it. Number five, and this is a big one. You can start to see the insanity of the mind. The Hindus called the natural dysfunction of the mind dukkha. Buddhists call it maya, and Christianity calls it original sin. You'll be able to take a step back, become the observer of the mind, and recognize this insanity with more clarity. Here's what you'll be able to see. 
So studies show that 60,000 to 70,000 of the thoughts we have a day, 90% of them are wrong and 90% of them are equal to the ones we had the day before. So it's these repetitive thoughts that always drive you to make the same decisions. It's these familiar decisions that always lead to the same actions. It's these familiar actions that always result in the same outcomes. It's these outcomes that constantly result in the same emotions. It's these familiar emotions that give you those same familiar feelings. And it's these feelings that always lead to the same thoughts. And now the cycle has been completed. You can see this and will be empowered to change your thinking. You're going to step back and say, whoa, I have more control over this than I thought I did. And then you'll make a change. Number six, your brain will start to produce regular amounts of melatonin again. Melatonin is produced by the pineal gland in the brain and simply lets your body know it's nighttime so you can relax and fall asleep easier. There is an important word there. It helps us relax. When our outer environment says it's time to relax, we get that cue much easier. Studies show that regular alcohol intake drastically reduces the amount of natural melatonin the body produces, which does a number on your sleep. Melatonin also helps support eye health, treat stomach ulcers, and heartburn. Number seven on this list of the top 10 benefits of quitting drinking are welcome back oxytocin or the connection molecule. Oxytocin is produced in the hypothalamus and is sometimes referred to as the love hormone because levels of oxytocin increase during hugging and in orgasms. It may also have health benefits as a treatment for a number of conditions, including depression, anxiety, and intestinal problems. This is the molecule that allows us to build altruistic relationships with other human beings. The best friends I've made in my life were all when I wasn't drinking. Hmm, go figure. Coincidence? I think not. When oxytocin is present in the body, we're living more in the heart area and less in the thinking mind. Studies show that pregnant women who have higher levels of oxytocin bond more strongly with their babies after they are born, according to a 2007 study in the Journal of Psychological Science. Number eight, you're part of something much bigger. We all want to feel like we're contributing to something, that we're adding to a project or goal, and overall making this world a better place. People are ditching the booze more than ever these days, and this global movement takes warriors like yourself. The bigger picture here is we're waking up collectively. We're no longer looking external for inner comfort. That's really what's happening, and you are a big part of this raising of the human consciousness on the planet. In fact, when we struggle with addiction, we think we are in the back of the line in terms of success and achievement. But in reality, we are the ones who are forced to look within, make huge life changes, and we are paving the way for others. Number nine. I like this one, and let's see if you do. Here we go. You stop hoping. Yep, hope is the problem. See episode 243 for extra clarification if needed. When we are hoping for something to change, be it our inner emotional state, the weather, or whatever it is, then we stop denying what is, what is actually taking place. Towards the end, every time I drank, unconsciously, I was hoping to feel differently internally. This incessant hoping for something to be different drives addiction and is doing a number on humanity overall. 
The Buddha noticed this 2,500 years ago when he links all human suffering to craving or hoping for something to be different. That guy was so far ahead of his time. And to finalize the list of top 10 benefits of quitting drinking is you've got a chance to work on the one big lesson you signed up for in this lifetime. There's a theory that you're supposed to work on one major issue in this lifetime. Mine is connection. For others, this can be letting go, loving yourself, standing up for yourself, showing unconditional love to others, forgiveness, self-sabotage, facing fear, patience, shame, regret, and the list goes on. When our veins are flowing with alcohol, there's absolutely no chance we'll build the internal circuits around these issues. And then there's another theory that if we don't get to it in this life, then, well, you'll simply start again in the next. So why not get started now and start tackling the number one thing that is holding us back? So these types of lists are hard because it could easily be the top 100 benefits of sobriety. It's difficult for me to narrow down the focus and only do 10. And I encourage you guys to create your own list. Maybe create a list at day one, day seven, day 30, day 60, 90, one year, and then go back and see how these lists have changed. The first time I did a list like this, most of the benefits that I had down were external. Now they are mostly internal. So we are all constantly evolving and changing as we walk this journey. Okay, then before we hear from Tara, let's hear from my favorite resource, Cafe RE. The three most important lessons I've learned while quitting drinking are, we can't do this alone, we need accountability, and a supportive community is key. In the private unsearchable Facebook groups Cafe RE, you're gonna get all three and much more. What does private mean? Well, these groups are unsearchable on Facebook. Who's in the group and what is said can only be seen by members. You get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to ditch the booze. These groups are capped at under 350 members to ensure a quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking doesn't have to suck. In fact, it can be a lot of fun. For $19 a month, you too can join the conversation, be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, online meetups, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and much more. Oh yeah, you'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. Tara, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Tara, I'm doing fantastic. It's great to have you. And this is my first interview while back after traveling for three months doing recovery elevator on the road. So warning, my last interview was about six to seven weeks ago. So hopefully I don't need to get the dust shaken off here, but it's good to be back in the recovery elevator office. It's good to be back doing interviews again. I'm stoked to do it. This is by far my favorite part about doing the podcast. So I'm feeling good, a little nervous. And, and how are you doing right now, Tara? doing okay. Yeah, I feel a little nervous too, but I'm excited to share my story. You know, I know your podcast has been very helpful for me and I just want to be that person maybe that someone out there hears and really relates to and thinks, you know, I can do this too. I can, I can stay sober. Yeah. And in your email, you wrote me, you had a line that I absolutely loved. You said, I feel great about finally being sober. <laughs> Tell us more about that. <laughs> well, it's, I can break it down to kind of a, a quick timeline for you as far as I feel like it took me 30 years 
from the moment I first thought, well, maybe alcohol isn't for me to the day that I finally stopped. And there were so many stories and events and things that happened between. And, you know, everybody's just on a different timeline. And for me, for whatever reason, it took that long. But I, I do feel confident it's going to stick. You know, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be lazy about my recovery per se. I don't call myself an alcoholic, but I do yeah, recognize go for, go that you. alcohol. I agree with a, that. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Alcohol was a problem, though, and it caused problems for me. And there was always this inner conflict of why is everybody around me normalizing it? Why mm. is it fun yet? I know it's not good for me. Wow. And, you know, it was kind of like this almost like a split personality, I guess, because I had this side that loved it. I loved to have fun. And there was this other side that was maybe more responsible and a little more aware. And, you know, I just wouldn't ever let myself fully listen to the side until recently um, that, you know, it's just not for me. You know, alcohol is not good for you. No. And, and Tara, okay. you're going fast and there's so much unpacked there. And listeners, it could be that simple. Alcohol is not good for me. It's no longer serving me. We don't have to go the alcoholic route, which we've heard several times in the podcast. I've officially broken up with it twice. And, and Tara, lots unpack. But before we get further into your story, let's get the basics here. Uh, when was your last drink? My last drink was February 4th, 2019. So a little over a year ago. Nice job. And we're recording so, this on February 7th. How does it feel to have a year away from alcohol to finally, and I love that I'm doing air quotes, to finally be sober? <laughs> you know, it feels really great. And it feels like I'm my true self. It feels like this is who I'm supposed to be. And, you know, I've had, I've had glimpses of this person over the years. And, you know, I've had kind of dormant periods per se. But this is the first year I can really think of for a long time that I have not had a drink. I, when I was pregnant, I didn't drink. That was, you know, around nine months. I, but literally since the time that I was 15 years old, I drank every weekend. And as I got older, you know, I would put that on pause a little bit as I was raising children. I didn't drink as much, but you know, I always had these moments and I had a few really scary moments. And I would say the first one was probably when I was 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time I had really, really drank. Hang on, Tara. A, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I know I'm asking these questions, but let's give <laughs> listeners a little background okay. about yourself. I know listeners are like, hey, like, how old okay. are you? Where do you live? Where are you from? And so give right. listeners a little background about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family, and what do you like to okay. do for fun? And I love your excitement, Tara. And then we're going to get further into deeper <laughs> chapters okay. in your life, especially the 30 okay. years from when you realized alcohol isn't serving you till 30 years later, you decided to quit drinking. I love it. But first, give listeners up to speed about the basics. So I'm 46 years, almost 46 years old, and I live in, outside of Seattle, Washington in Lake Forest Park. I'm a preschool teacher. I founded my own preschool 25 years ago, and I have a family of four. My two children are legal adults, <laughs> and my husband um, is actually my high school sweetheart. So he's been through me, through, you know, all these phases of life with me, and he actually doesn't drink himself for almost five years now. And my kids, uh, their attitude about drinking is more modern. And I think with, you know, people are becoming more aware, right? There's this awareness now that alcohol is not great for you. It's kind of being a cigarette moment, if you will. Mm -hmm. And 
so I'm thankful for that. But I also want to model to them that this is not normal to, you know, to do this to yourself every weekend or every day or, or whatever it is. I don't think that alcohol should be normalized. Totally agree. And millennials listeners are the first generation to actually drink less. So addiction is on the rise globally, but millennials, they're doing something right. They're doing a lot right. They get a lot of flack for avocado toast, which is delicious by the way, but they're drinking less and they are <laughs> right. paving the way for right. those behind them. Um, and in the email you sent me for fun says in sobriety, you like to get together with friends for coffee, lunch, dinner, do spin class, go to concerts, start playing the guitar again, decorate, design and travel. Yes. You also like to dance in the yes. kitchen while cooking. <laughs> go you, yes, Tara. All my good friends. I know. I know. Yeah, all my friends know I love to dance, so I'm not going to give up dancing ever. And, um, you know, clubs are a little much for me these days, but I will just dance in my kitchen or I'll kind of dance in the car, but I'm never going to give up dancing. Dancing, so. the ultimate expression of the divine. I absolutely love it. Everybody needs to dance at home, alone, in groups, and settings. Put on the headphones. In fact, the best investment I have are Bose. They're, they're like $300 headphones, and I put them on and sometimes just dance with the lights off. Dance with the lights on. Oh, yeah. Dance with my dog, Ben. <laughs> it is such a good way to move energy and to not think and to connect with music, which is one of the best healing modalities ever. I love how you said that. I agree. So I'm going to ask yeah. you a question about your story. And actually, I can't promise I won't interrupt again like I did the previous two times. And I love your excitement. You're ready to go. <laughs> Give yeah. listeners background with your drinking. When you first recognized it was a problem, it sounds like this was 30 years ago. And then your progression, right. did you attempt to moderate? Did you have any tricks up your sleeve? You're only drinking Friday and Saturday. Did you have a rock bottom moment? Take it from here and I'll, 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 I'll interject if there's something I want to dive a little deeper in and you're doing great. Okay. It's good to be back doing interviews. I'm excited to hear your story, Tara. So I would say I would break it down to three scary moments that were my personal moments with alcohol where I thought, you know, I paused and I thought this, this could be a problem. And the first one was when I was 15 years old and it was probably the second time I had drank. And I was at a wedding and the bar was opened up to me. It was a, it was a formal event. People were dressed up, um, but there happened to be a pool at the wedding. And I knew my bikini was in the car. <laughs> so I went and put my bikini on and I jumped into the pool. And granted, I was the only person jumping into the pool. And my parents were mortified. They were so embarrassed. Again, this is a formal, this is not a casual barbecue wedding. This is a formal wedding. Yeah, you got so a great, you might dad, need to ditch the booze if line right there. If you're at a formal wedding and you end up in the pool in the bikini at age 15 yeah. while drunk, you might need to ditch the booze. <laughs> yeah. So needless to say, my father is not happy. He grabbed me out of the pool. He grabbed my whole family. Um, I'm one of four kids and we all piled in the car. And this was a wedding that was a destination wedding. So we were driving back to the hotel and I thought like at every approaching stoplight that it would, might be a good idea to jump out of the car while wearing my bikini. So my poor younger brother was just like grasping me to stay in the car. And needless to say, I was just ornery. I was saying things. I was doing things. And my poor family was so embarrassed. And the next morning I was mortified. But I also had this sense of like, wow, that was really freeing. So it was like this inner conflict I was having of, I've, I'm a very shy person and I've always had social anxiety. So it was like, it almost freed me of that for a moment, even though I completely embarrassed myself and embarrassed my 
family and terrified my little brother. I was like, wow, I was so free in that moment. But wait, this, this isn't good. This, this could be a problem. So it was a little, I would say it was kind of more of a tap on my shoulder then that, you know, like, you know, it was, there was a certain amount of awareness there, but it was, there was also denial. But I like how you so, inserted you know, because, the internal divide that one, this is freeing, but number two, I jumped, I just jumped into a pool in a bikini at a formal wedding and I felt mortified the next day. So the internal conflict has already started first moment in the bag. Right. Yeah. Keep going. And then my second serious moment was also in high school. This time was pretty scary because I was at a house party. There was hard liquor. I was drinking it without taking notice how much it was like, there was no off switch. And that, that was often the case with alcohol, even though I didn't drink that often when I did drink, there was no off switch. And so while everybody else was kind of taking it slow, I just kept throwing the shots back and I decided to get into a hot tub, which is not a good idea after you drink a lot. And I got so sick, I threw up blood and my friends didn't want to take me home because they were scared what my parents would say. So they covered for me, but it was looking back, like I could have died. It was, it was that scary. And, um, luckily I didn't, I survived, but one of my friends was so scared by that incident that she did have a talk with me. And she said, you know, I'm really worried about you. Hmm. I don't, I think that alcohol might not really agree with you. And, you know, that was again, another pause. And, she was a good friend and I knew she cared about me. And I thought, you know, you're, you're, you might be right. Like maybe I'll just stick to beer. So this is where I'm starting to think like, maybe it's just a hard liquor, right? I can, I can still drink beer. Okay. And, we've already got granted, a rule in place. Um, right. And granted my, my husband now, my boyfriend at the time, he was the one that threw all the cakes <laughs> in high school. So I always had a free cup and every weekend or every other weekend, there was either a keg or a house party and the house party usually tended to be at one of my good friends' house. So there was always access to alcohol. And I decided, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to stick to beer and I'm going to only have three every time. And that did work for a while. When you say a while, you mean you like know, a week? No, I would say years. Ah, it worked for years. Impressive, Tara. And yeah, it, it really did. And, you know, then when I got to my 20s, I that that beer changed to wine. And that's when I had, you know, I had a couple more doozy moments, nothing that was as scary, but no off switch again. Mm -hmm. And I, I would say my third scariest moment was in my forties. And it was on a girl's trip to Palm Springs, which I, I do usually every year. And in my thirties, you know, the drinking kind of went dormant per se, at that time, my husband was drinking more and I felt like, well, someone needs to be responsible for the kids. So I'm not going to really drink. And so I, I didn't drink at home and I would only drink at social things. But again, when I did get, when I did decide to drink, there was usually not an off switch. Like, um, you know, there would be, there was a couple of times where I could have a couple, but usually I would go full board. So when you say dormant, um, it was more, you just weren't drinking. Right. Okay. I kind of was able to, to somewhat positive. Like I, I never went longer than like a month, but sure. I would have a social event. I would go to a month or something and I would drink. 
And Tara, there was a time in my journey where it was significantly easier to just not drink. I would think all day of ways to moderate where to drink, where to buy it and everything. And it just eliminated so much brain wattage to not drink opposed to do that, especially Mm -hmm. the thought of moderating two to three stopping, like what's the point? So I love how you said dormant meant just not drinking at all because those were phases in my journey where it was dormant. I wasn't actually doing the work or building the networks, uh, recovery networks, burning ships, et cetera, doing any recovery work, but it was dormant. And that's the keyword when things are dormant, it usually is expressed at a later date. So I know what's coming Mm -hmm. here. Bring us up to speed with this third event. Okay. So third event was in my forties and I was on a girl's trip in Palm Springs. And just for a little background, um, there were a couple of traumatic events that happened in my life um, about involving like my family members and alcohol. One of them was my sister was involved in a car accident when I was a senior in high school and her best friend died. She was drinking and driving and that best friend I grew up with. She was my childhood friend. She was one of the nicest people you would ever meet. Yeah. So and, that and, was the, and in the email you sent me, you said you contemplated with you and your high school sweetheart husband at the time, you contemplated at that time even quitting drinking, correct? Right. And we, you know, there was virtually nobody around us that had just stopped drinking because they thought, oh, alcohol would be problem it was always extreme cases that went to rehab like even with my sister's accident it was like people were still partying at the reception after it wasn't you know people just kept drinking and it was there's no pause for anybody I mean I think people thought more about drinking and driving but not necessarily the alcohol itself gotcha and so we just we didn't feel like we had that support to stop at that time and and we thought, you know, we could just kind of slow down with it. But we did, it It caused more fights, honestly. And it was, it did cause a problem for us in our relationship too. So it was something that was another tap, you know, on the shoulder, like maybe this isn't a good thing. So anyway, that, that car accident was very traumatic for me, obviously, and my family, but we didn't really talk very much about it. You know, our way of dealing with it was just kind of, you know, put it, put it aside and power through and you know, and everybody kind of kept drinking. And then also, you know, my dad was a functioning alcoholic and he was a wonderful father. He really was, but he, he had a problem with drinking and it got really bad once we all left the house, once we were all adults and left the house. And he ended up, you know, getting help, going to AA, going to treatment and was sober for five years. Um, And then he relapsed. And he fell and he hit his head and he died from bleeding to death. I'm so sorry. So, yeah. So that was extremely traumatic. I was very close to my father. How long ago was was that? Another big moment. That was, I want to say, six years ago. Oh, wow. Gosh, yeah. Six, seven years ago. Did you find that after that that your drinking ramped up? You know, it did. It, It wasn't something I did every day. And it was still like mostly social. I had a friend that would come over and have glass, you know, wine with me. And um, it just seemed like there was that switch was even trickier to turn off. You know, it was just more and more and more and more when I did drink. But it wasn't a daily thing. It was I was still able to kind of just keep it as a social thing. But I was finding excuses, more more social excuses to drink, if that makes sense. <laughs> I would go to things that I didn't really want to go to because I knew there would be wine there. or And that was kind of my way of dealing with it in a somewhat healthy way, I guess. Does that but, make sense? Um, I think myself and the other thousands and thousands <laughs> of listeners all were nodding their heads. So yes, Tara, 
we understand that makes sense. And yes, Tara, uh, that's terrible about your father, about your father. We're so sorry to hear that. And of course it's logical. It's even expected that after something that traumatic in your life, that drinking will ramp up. In fact, I was, when I was volunteering at Hope Rehab, um, I had several conversations with the people, with the clients who were attending there and everybody's story is different, but one similarity, which means everybody's story is basically the same at the same time is insert life trauma. And oftentimes we go back to adolescence or, or teens at high school and when we're a child, but it can happen at any time. And it sounds like this happened to you five years ago, but when this life trauma happens, then drinking escalates and ramps up. So sorry to hear about mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. your response to that is you went to what worked well. That's the alcohol to mitigate the internal um, dis- discomfort, shall we say. And then what mm-hmm. happened after mm-hmm. that? So when I was on this, um, you know, this girl's trip in my forties, um, we gave each other permission to drink, right? We were away from our family, away from our kids and catching up. And again, the off switch just wasn't there. And I drank way too much. I was also on a diet. So it was, I was metabolizing it differently. And before I knew it, I couldn't stand. And I fell and I hit my head. And all I could think of was, this is how my dad died. Wow. And I, you know, it was such a moment for me that, and I was so disappointed in myself that I let that happen. I'm still obviously very emotional about it, but yeah. um, that was, that was a huge moment for me. And, um, but I still continued to drink after that for at sure. least a few more years. And, and you know, Tara, I had this more is a, this is a safe place. You are supported. You're doing great. So if it comes out, that's totally fine. Yeah. Thank you. Anyhow. So there were more moments. None that that was probably my last biggest moment. And I did continue to drink after that. And I would go to these social events that I didn't really even want to go to, but I would, and I would go to them with such anxiety, such social anxiety. So of course I would say, yes, I have to have a drink because I have this anxiety. And, um, and it was, it was this game I was playing with myself where I would wake up the next morning feeling worse and having, I would have more anxiety, but I would, I was almost like chasing this, right. Chasing this, this medication for my anxiety while also creating it. And, you know, it was a couple more events like that where I just realized, what am I doing? It's taking more than it's giving. I know it's unhealthy for me. You know, I'm trying to, as I age, I'm trying to take care of my body and treat it like a temple and exercise more and eat healthy. I've been a pescatarian for over 10 years. I exercise regularly. I try to take care of my spiritual and emotional and mental health. But at the same time, I'm drinking and I'm, you know, really causing damage to myself. And so, yeah, I would say the final day where I sat down with my husband and kind of talked it through with him and what his journey had been like, you know, not drinking and how, you know, he had difficult moments, but overall he was so much happier. And obviously I'd witnessed this living with him. You know, that support I had from him was extremely important. One of my best friends doesn't drink. She hasn't for over a decade, I want to say. And so it's just, I think that network is really important when you have, especially when you're surrounded by, you know, I have this huge family and it's very normalized to drink and everybody drinks. And if you don't drink, you're off or you're odd. So that's tricky. And then, you know, a lot of my friends 
also, you know, you kind of find that you've created these friendships around drinking wine or whatnot. But luckily, I also knew that, you know, there's, there's, were friends that I just met for coffee or friends that I just met when I worked out or so I think a support system is extremely important and I think podcasts are excellent for that as well because every day I would listen to at least a few I would listen to yours so you know recovery elevator I was the bubble hour so and you know it would just get me through that day to, to hear someone else's story to hear, even though it would be maybe a little more extreme than mine or different than mine, um, it was relatable. And it, and I could hear what was on the other side if I just stuck it out. So now that I'm at a year, I just feel like it's really, I can, I can feel the joy so much more. It's not hard or strange anymore. And, you know, I just, I just want people to know that it, it gets there, right? You just have to, you have to do the work. <laughs> it does get better on the other but... side. It does. But, but Tara, let's back it up a little bit. And so after you hit your head on a girl's trip in Palm Springs, and I hear those trips get crazy, um, you continue to drink for about a year <laughs> more. And it doesn't sound like there was another yeah. tangible rock bottom moments. It was a sequence of you recognize that it's not good for you. Your spiritual capacity was being diminished. You're trying to exercise your body as a temple. I think you said, and, and then you mentioned alcohol is taking more than it's giving. Sometimes it's a series of these mini light bulb moments, the smaller things that add up to a large light bulb moment where the energetic momentum right. to quit drinking reaches a tipping point where it has more energy than the addiction. And it sounds like you had that on February. Your last drink was February 4th. So February 5th might've been mm -hmm. your first day away from alcohol. Is that summarize what that was where you just internally were like, what is going on? This is no longer serving me. And you continue to put that declaration out to whomever. And it sounds like you're your husband. Mm -hmm. Let's insert him here as well. He quit drinking five years ago. You had your best friend sober 10 years ago for 10 years and they were there to catch you mm -hmm. and to be there. But talk to us about right before you quit drinking. It doesn't. It wasn't like a rock bottom moment. It sounds like it was probably like a like a gradual internal tipping point. Can you go a little bit deeper into that and talk to us about it? Yeah, I mean, I just it was just a party, honestly. That I think where I really kind of knew it, it was over for me because I had been using it to soothe my anxiety for so many years. And I went to this party with this anxiety, and I started drinking, and it it almost amped up. It, I didn't feel that warm blanket. And I thought like, gosh, how many glasses of wine am I going to have to drink to fill that warm blanket? And I literally started making like graveyards. And I'm like, this is what I did when I drank for the first time when I was 14 years old. I just mixed everything together that was in my parents' liquor cabinet. So they wouldn't notice. I took a splash of everything. And I, that was what I, and it felt like such a regression. Like I was just drinking whatever I could drink to kind of, get the effect. And I thought, wait, this is not what I want to be doing. Like, I thought I could maybe just have a glass of wine with dinner, but I don't want to just be self medicating. And it, and on top of that, it's, it's not working. And I feel terrible the next day. You know, I still don't know fully, like if I said anything wrong to somebody that night, it was this party that I didn't really want to go to. But I felt like I should for social reasons and also, okay, yes, there's going to be wine there. Might as well go. And, you know, it just ended up the next day. I just thought, I don't like myself. Like, I don't want to be this way. This is not how I want to live my life. And, it's, and also it was, 
it coincidentally aligned with my spot, the anniversary of my father's death. It's like, I want to honor his death. Like he, he put in five years of sobriety and still, you know, died from drinking. And here I am drinking. And it just was so heartbreaking. And I just knew I needed to put myself back together. And the only way I could really do that was step away from alcohol and just live a different life. And, you know, it, I knew it wasn't going to be easy because there's all these messages out there that this is, this is what's normal and this is what you need to do to be normal and, and happy. And, um, you know, even some of my good friends in the neighborhood, they'll post memes like, don't be skeptical of that person swearing and drinking be skeptical of the sober person in the corner or whatever and I'm thinking why are you taking the time to advocate for alcohol like this isn't where we should be as a society so it's it's not just about me personally I feel like if there's a bigger picture out there that I feel like I want to counteract like I want to counteract what people are being told because it's just not true alcohol is not healthy for you I mean there was a Gates study recently of over a thousand researchers internationally that found it it's not good for you at all. There's nothing good about it for you. It's the seventh leading cause of death, in fact. But people are told that no wine is good for you. No, the the alcohol in the wine is not good for you. The grapes in the wine might be good for you. But it's so the, I just the feel like not a yes. lot of yeah, right. Yeah, Tara, so there's, there's this book of... out there called Alcohol is is uh what is it? Alcohol is 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 alcohol is shit. Yeah. Totally agree. And I've, <laughs> yes. I've read it's the yes, seventh I've leading it. cause. It's a good one. Thank you for yes. reading it. And I've also read it's like the fourth, <laughs> fifth, sixth, or seventh. And it's hard to tell with heart disease, like the number one and number two is because it's all intertwined. And I read somewhere that 60% of hospital beds are occupied that are, that are, that have pinnings to alcohol. And Tara, we're going to try something here. And a year and a half ago, there's no way I would have done this, not out of fear, I wouldn't have done this because I didn't think it was possible, but in the last year and a half of my life, I've been pulled down the spiritual pathway and I've had too many, what used to be crazy and is now the new norm, too many spiritual things that has proven to me that's left me almost no doubt that something is bigger at play. And I'm hearing your dad died five Mm -hmm. years ago or six years ago, five years ago with a head injury, your light bulb moment, your rock rock bottom moment almost falls the same thing. You fall in Palm Springs Mm -hmm. and you hit your head. So here's Mm -hmm. what I'm saying right now is your dad is listening to this interview as we speak, as we are recording it. He might even be in the room with you. He might even be in my room and he's listening right now. What do you have to say to him? I think, you know, that's why I have tears because I feel him here and I just want him to know that I love him and I'm proud of him for you know, for trying. And I wish that he was sober at a time where he had the kind of support that I feel like I have, because I think, you know, it can be lonely. Sobriety can be lonely if you feel like nobody understands what you're going through, you know, having to like be the fish that swims upstream when everybody's going the other way. It's it's hard. But also, you know, I have a different perspective on how much I've gained you know, and I never got to that point where I was physically addicted, drinking every day, which compounds the difficulty of stopping. And so I can, I just can see for him why it was so hard. And when it was at the time, I didn't get it. I was like, just stop. What are you doing? Like, I knew there was a physical element to it, but I didn't realize like how much of a pull that must have been for him because I now realize me stopping and not being physically addicted, um, how emotionally difficult it was. 
and mentally difficult it was. So, you know, not only did he have the physical part that he had to overcome, he had the the other elements to it as well. And so I just want to tell him I love him and I'm proud of him for really doing his best with it. And um, and I wish he was here, but I know he is. Um, he's with me all the time. He is constantly sending me signs. I mean, that's just one of so many other stories. Um, but he's he's constantly showing me he's here and he's guiding me and you know that's really special and it's so true that I think there's so much more out there we don't understand and listeners that's I had a weird prompt to ask you that Tara just was like hey Uh your dad's here too so could have been a sign that I got to ask you that but Mm -hmm. usually when we do interviews there's two of us but there's three of us in this one (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Pretty cool stuff. Beautifully said. And yeah. what's your father's name? Brian. Brian. Good to have you here, brother. Mm-hmm. It's the three of us. We're all doing great work. And Brian's proud of you. Uh, proud of everybody and proud of us. This is cool stuff. Never really gone here on a podcast episode. This is uncharted waters. So, uh, yeah. okay. Well, let's talk about <laughs> after you quit drinking. What was, how did the relationship change with your husband? Were there challenges there? No, I mean, I think with my husband, you know, more of the challenges was for him to just let me stop at my own time. Like he obviously probably would have liked me to stop at the same time he stopped, but he just let me, you know, take my own path of it. And while kind of gently encouraging me and, um, you know, pointing things out here and there gently. And I think now our bond is even stronger and I'm just glad that we can both do this together because, you know, he feels more supported now that I, that, you know, when we'd go out to dinner and stuff and I was still drinking, I would, I would drink, I would, you know, just order iced tea or whatever, just to kind of support him. But obviously when we go to social events, he, he was kind of felt alone, you know, there was not really anybody else there not drinking oftentimes. And, I would drag him to these things. So I think he's happier now that I've kind of pulled back from some of those events that, you know, I only went to because there was alcohol at, and I'm really just trying to focus on spending time with my friends that are, you know, they may drink, but that's not what our relationship's all about. Like we do other things. We, we exercise or we go get coffee or we go to a concert, but you know, our relationship is not based on alcohol or the time we're spending together isn't based on alcohol. So I think, yeah, our relationship has definitely deepened. You know, my friend I was speaking of, I didn't ask permission to use her name, but uh, she, so I won't, but I'm extremely proud of her. And I think she's kind of been my guiding light too. And I think that, you know, making our relationship a whole nother level as well, even though we're already really close, but um, you know, it's just, it's good all around. And I, you know, I've had only a couple awkward moments that kind of surprised me with people that I thought were good friends of mine that kind of made comments of like, what, you're not drinking anymore. Why? And, but I love the drunk Tara, you know, these things that I'm like, why are you, you why that's not supportive. And I didn't really understand it because when people around me would stop, like my good friend or Lance, or I have another friend in California that doesn't drink when they stopped, I was just so proud of them and I supported them. And so I was thrown off when pe- there was a few of my friends that weren't that way. But I think for the most part, you know, I would say 80% of the people have been extremely supportive. I'm kind of surprised at some of my family members that have kudos, but I don't really need it. 
but it is, it just is always nice for anybody out there that's listening and maybe still drinking, but just listening to podcasts such as these for a family member. It's just good to hear that support. Um, and just to know that, you know, you're, you're being acknowledged that this isn't necessarily like an easy path, but it's the right path for this person. And I think, you know, they're going to be a better version of themselves if they stick to it. And so you want to support that. Tara, I'm going to interject so. right here. Most of the times we hear value bombs for the person who's on this journey quitting drinking. That was a big value bomb for 10 to 15% of the listeners who oftentimes uh, I, I don't, rec- I don't keep them in the forefront when doing the episodes, but those are people listening who don't have a drinking problem. These can be people in the medical community in support of a family member. That's a big value bomb you dropped right there for them is to simply acknowledge, have the awareness, simply say, Hey, look, I understand this is a difficult journey, but I support you. You're doing great. Mm-hmm. Let me know how I can help. Mm-hmm. Love how you said that. And Tara, what has been perhaps the biggest challenge or some of the biggest challenges you've experienced this last year? You know, just the ones that kind of catch you out of nowhere when you're not expecting it, like that little craving for that warm blanket of the glass of champagne when you're not expecting it. <laughs> or Because like I've gone into a lot of moments thinking this is going to be hard and I don't know if I can do this. And then it ends up being the opposite. So I'm really trying not to isolate myself, um, but also, you know, just somewhat be prepared for those moments where I might get a craving or might think, wait, I don't have a problem. I can have a glass of wine and, you know, just stay on top of like keeping that in the forefront of my awareness and not slipping into the subconscious mind too much of, you know, that, that part of my brain that might want to go on autopilot and just do it easy, you know, if that makes sense. But because I, this year I took a trip and I will say it was the best trip I've ever taken. And I've had a few of those moments where I was like, wow, this is like the best, whatever I've ever had or ever done. And it's happened this year. And I think it's because I'm fully present. I'm not numbing myself. I'm not giving alcohol too much credit. I'm, it's all me. It's all my feelings. It's all real. Alcohol doesn't get any credit. It's, it's me. So love that alcohol. You had nothing to do with this. This was all me. (laughs) You get that internal glow without the external substance alcohol. And those are going to become more and more of the common theme of your life, Tara, which is so cool. And listeners keep going until you reach that moment. And so what's an excuse that you used to tell yourself of why you couldn't quit drinking? Well, I just used to say to myself, I don't drink every day. I don't drink by myself. I only drink when I go to social events, you know, and those were kind of my parameters. I knew I had some moments that got pretty dicey, but at the same time, I was like, oh, everybody has a few of those stories. They're funny. Or, you know, I could kind of write it, write it off somewhat. But yeah, I don't think it's, I, I didn't, you know, unless you pause and really recognize like how it's chipping away at you in other ways, even if you're not physically addicted, you know, it's, you're, it's, it's easy to make excuses, I guess. And what are your thoughts on relapse? On a personal level, I don't see it happening for myself, but I know it's a possibility like with my father after five years of being sober and doing AA and everything. I know it's possible even when, you know, the alcohol is fully out of your body to still somehow, you know, have this weak moment of where you think you need it. Um, And so I'm trying to keep that in my awareness, but I don't really think it'll happen for me. I really don't. I don't, I think I, because it was such a long time span of so many things happening 
I, I just have a deeper purpose with it now. It's not so much about myself. It's like I want to be the counteracting force for other people because I lost my father. For other people out there to see, like, no, you can do this. You can live this life, and you can be happy, and and it's better. It's better in so many ways. And that was one of the biggest surprises for me because when I even when I sat down with my husband and ta- he's like, no, it's actually it's not easy. <laughs> I'm like, don't tell me that. I want it to be just like a clean cut, easy, easy breezy thing. And it isn't. But what he also told me beforehand, which turned out to be true for me too, is you gain so much. Um, I think it's, you know, your, your self-esteem because you're doing, even if you go to a party and you feel awkward, you, you do, you get through it on your own. You're not using alcohol as a crutch. Yeah, it's this journey isn't easy, um, but life isn't supposed to be that hard, right? When we're drinking and in general on this journey, and life is so much easier without the alcohol. But it comes with its challenges, right. and anybody has challenges in life. I think we should put that out there right now, whether you battle with addiction or not. And before we hit the rapid fire round, there's something I want to comment on what you just said about relapse, where even though alcohol is out of your system, you still, sometimes we feel a a pull to drink and listeners say you've been away from alcohol for 30 days, 60 days. Once the initial detoxifying process has happened in the body, you're not craving alcohol. You might be craving sugar, but most likely you're craving an inner desire to feel different than your current emotional state that you're feeling. So with awareness of that, it should (laughs) soften the craving and then you can distance yourself a couple steps emotionally internally from the craving and it doesn't it doesn't suck you down mm-hmm. doesn't pull you like it used to so if you've been away from alcohol for more than a week or sometimes for some even more than three days it's not a craving for the chemical molecule ethanol or alcohol it's for an internal desire to feel different lean into that start asking questions mm-hmm. what's wrong with this moment is it the weather is something too loud am i am i in a room that's too hot too cold am i around somebody that i don't like is there is there another change that you can make besides taking a drink but what i recommend you sit and embrace it all because that's what cravings are is to feel differently internally than you're currently feeling and you repeat that process of listening to that inner voice then sitting with the present moment you're gonna be rejecting it every single time and that's how addictions start is when the present moment becomes just a little too sharp and we depart with something else. So I love how you said that, Tara. And we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these within 30 seconds, that'd be great. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Here we go, sweetheart. What's a light bulb moment you've had on this journey? I'm happier without alcohol. Easy breezy. Number two, what's a memorable moment (laughs) a life without alcohol has given you? A trip to Costa Rica, no drinking whatsoever, and the best trip of my life. Where'd you go in Costa Rica? Uh, Santa Teresa. Oh, I love that place. That's right by Malpais, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, great surfing down there. Okay, next question. What's your favorite alcohol-free drink, Tara? I like iced tea or bubbly water with a little mint in it, or just plain water. <laughs> <laughs> love it. What are your, some of your favorite resources? I love to listen to your podcast and many others. I've read a few books. Alcohol is Shit is obviously one of them. Um, this Naked Mind, and We Are the Luckiest, I've just started. And so I, I try to do a lot of reading and general research on the web and um, just keep my mind aware of the newest information out there on alcohol. What's on your bucket list in a life without alcohol? Bucket list. I would say a lot of more travel. 
and I hope to go to Thailand next. I would say uh, we just got back from Thailand <laughs> for an alcohol-free trip. Oh, it was wow. incredible. <laughs> yeah, I was going to tell you, like, uh, maybe I keep that one quiet. <laughs> but it was great. Definitely go to Thailand. And uh, let me know if okay. you have any questions on itinerary. We do some really cool things there. Yeah, and okay. What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? Oh, gosh. You know, there's just so much on the other side. And like you said earlier, just stick with it. Because I think, you know, initially, for me anyway, it was, the most difficult. And I think if you're able just to stay the course, you, you see more and more benefits and you kind of become more and more who you're supposed to be is the way I like to say it. So just give it time. And, and also just, you know, remind yourself that there are things being said out there that aren't true. And so, you know, do your own research, I guess. Stay the course. Big one right there. And before we depart, Tara, give listeners your own. You might need to ditch the booze if line. <laughs> well, I think, I think we decided that if you put a bikini on at a formal wedding and jump into a pool when nobody else is in the pool, you might have a drinking problem. <laughs> Judges, does that work? Brian's like, yeah, that, that, uh, that totally works. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff, Tara. Oh. The three of us had a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. An article came in my inbox the other day that said, Drunk Celtic fan tries to have sex with a taxi. Yeah, a 36-year-old man has been found guilty of simulating sex on a taxi bonnet with his trousers at his ankles. The shocked cabbie had arrived to pick up a fare from a house when a drunk stranger jumped up on the front of his van in broad daylight and started doing, well, I just said it, try to have sex with a taxi. That's a great you-might-need-to-ditch-the-booze-if line and another driving point that alcohol is shit. But overall, let's send some encouragement to this guy who needs way more love than laughs right now. Recovery elevator, go big, because eventually we'll all go home. I love you guys. 